I think to myself, if I'm so serious about wanting to be a mom, shouldn't I just do it? Just drive over to an adoption agency, take a number, come home with a kid, buy them a bed, invite them to call me mom. That's what today's guest did. When she was ready, she just jumped in. I taught my kids how to jump into a river from a high cliff. But, you know, my first thing is you check out the bottom and make sure there's no rocks underneath where you're going to jump. And then you just climb back up the cliff, overcome the fear and jump in. And that's sort of an analogy for my whole life. Make sure there's nothing that's going to hurt you at the bottom of your jump. Then go and jump in and just see where it takes you. So adopting a kid is like that cliff in some ways. Except I I don't think I checked the water first. (laughs) This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Today, we're going to hear from Gretchen, a 70-something retiree who listens to our show, about what it's like to dive into parenthood without checking for the rocks, also known as every parenting story ever told. Can you ever check the water, though? No, I don't think you can, because every child is entirely different. When Gretchen was my age, she looked at a photo of a nine-year-old girl and decided to adopt her. She didn't wait for all the things I tell myself to wait for, the committed partner, becoming a homeowner. She didn't wait until she turned 40. I think you should be where you want to be in life, doing what you want to do. If somebody comes along, great. If they don't, you're still where you want to be and doing what you want to do. Gretchen adopted her daughter as a 32-year-old single mom in the 1970s. And when she did, Gretchen hit some rocks she never saw coming. And even though Gretchen is now a great-grandmother, the cuts and scrapes from that time in her life are, in a lot of ways, still healing. For her and her now middle-aged daughter, Mira. Aloha. Aloha's right, because today's story takes place in Hawaii. Join me up here on this Hawaii cliff for a second. Great view, right? Nice and dry. But wow, long way down. Now, I'm a hardcore rock checker. Like, see this one to the left? That's the childbirth injury rock. It's right next to the pee when you sneeze reef. Right below us, you can see the working mom discrimination boulder. Hard to miss, though lots of male tourists like to pretend it's invisible or stand on it to get ahead. Further out is the fighting over homework shipwreck, the college fund whirlpool. Even if you're a strong swimmer, it's not easy out there. There is so much I want to learn from Gretchen today because the way she jumped the adoption route before anyone started pressuring her to jump, it's a bold move. It seems like a reasonable way for me to take the leap if I'm doing it alone. Gretchen did this when she was my age. And just thinking about her leap makes my stomach do a backflip. I'm standing here going, should I do it now? Is now the time? When Gretchen became a mom, she was living in a very small town on the tip of the Big Island. There may be 2,000 full-time residents in the area, and she was one of the only white women in town. 
It's the mid-1970s, and she's making good money working nights at the swankiest hotel on the island as their wine sommelier. I had a boyfriend at the time who loved children, but seemed unwilling to commit to me. He was just laid back. He was a surfer. Um, we connected, believe it or not. I mean, I, it sounds so foolish. A love of garlic was a big part of it. During the day, before she left for work, Gretchen and her boyfriend used to pack their dogs into her tan VW bug and go hiking through sugarcane fields. She loved the idea of having a kid along for that. Her boyfriend's last girlfriend had two kids, and he used to talk about missing them, wanting to be their dad. And somewhere in my very unformed 30-year-old brain, I thought it might, you know, why not adopt? I would adopt as a single parent, and then he would have a child to bind him to me. I think that's what I thought, you know, if I'm to be brutally honest. On my list of things I've done to impress a guy, there's the time I bought a leather skirt, the time I baked lasagna, but adopting a kid? I was so naive. I thought love would just cure everything. Of course, I, you know, this comes from the 70s, right? Love is all you need. The songs, that's all they talked about was love, love, love. And, um, you know, I thought, how hard can being a parent be? You see people doing it all the time. There was an adoption agency on the island that specialized in children from Korea. After a few meetings and a home visit, they started sending her dossiers on different kids who were available to adopt. The first one they sent me was this little girl who was soon to be nine years old. And I just thought she was cute as a bug. And so I said, yeah. Over their long, garlicky dinners, Gretchen told her boyfriend about the twinkle she saw in this girl's eyes in the photos. When my daughter was about to arrive from Korea, I said to my boyfriend, do you want her to call you dad? Do you want to be her dad? And he's like, no, she can, I'll be her uncle. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> when he said, okay, great, I'll be the uncle, did you want to turn back? It was too late. I mean, she was about to get off the plane. And no, I, would, I think by this time I was pretty excited. I thought she was very cute. I couldn't wait to meet her. Yeah, I was excited. I was excited to be a parent. And I know you feel this. It's almost like you're joining a club. Oh, finally, I get to join the club, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I felt that I was finally going to join the club. It was cold when I left Korea. This is Gretchen's daughter, Mira. All grown up now, a grandmother herself. And when we spoke, she talked to me outside near a chicken coop overlooking the ocean. And if you hear noises in the background, that is just like full Hawaii going on there. I remember wearing a red shoes and it was so small. And I remember I had to walk and, and there was an infant uh, came with us. And there was about three other kids. And I was the only female And I was holding the baby on the plane. I would not let the baby go. And I had to go bathroom. And so I had like clothes after clothes of clothes, layers of clothes. Here she is coming to Hawaii where it's 75 or 80 degrees and they've got her dressed up for the snow. So she was wearing a like a polyester dress and tights and an undershirt. At the airport, she greeted me. 
And I wasn't quite sure because I had no idea. I was more concerned about the baby, where the baby was going, honestly. And the lady who escorted us on the plane and off the plane was saying, this is your new omani. And I knew what omani was. I looked at her and she grabbed my hand and we started walking. And there were so many people. I was just, ah, I remember. Was it strange undressing with her? You know, this person you just met to, to get out of the uncomfortable warm clothes? No, actually, because I was uh, living with, I was in an orphanage then when she adopted me. So there was a lot of kids in an orphanage. So I was used to taking off my clothes and putting it on. It wasn't like, uh, uh, I wasn't scared or worried. For some reason, I felt very comfortable with her instantly. Do you remember the first time you saw her and, and what she would have looked like then? Yes. Blonde hair, short hair carrying a green apple. I was determined that I was going to raise this child, you know, on good food, healthy, etc. And uh, I had an apple with me. And I had gotten a little phrase book of Korean phrases and said to her, sagwa, which means apple. I remember looking at the apples and there was kids walking around with ice cream and a cone. And that's what I wanted. While Gretchen had been studying up on Korean, Mira had learned a few key words in English. And she looked at me and she said, no, cookie. And I said, no, sagwa. She says, no, cookie, ice cream. <laughs> you know, everybody at the opening, oh, go America, oh, America, oh, you're going to, you know, have ice creams and pancakes and this and that. And I get a green apple. I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) But I wanted cookies. I wanted ice cream. I wanted sugar. I'm in America. What am I doing with this apple? (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) As I recall, I probably did go buy her an ice cream too, you know. Good. (laughs) she, She wanted nothing to do with the apple. Coming up, a mom and her nine-year-old daughter who speak different languages start a life together, despite very different attitudes towards cookies, amongst other things. Well, it turns out, and her personality is still this way, she's like, where's the party? Come on, guys, let's have a great time. Stay with us. We're back with Gretchen, who took a leap off the becoming a parent cliff to adopt her daughter, Mira. After that first day together in the airport, Mira came to live with Gretchen and her call-me-uncle boyfriend. Everything was new for Mira. The smells, the nature, her mom's two big dogs, and especially the food. Food was an early rock that they both kept hitting, one that would leave these little bruises— Like the first time Gretchen took Mira along to the supermarket. I would pick all the cookies, ice cream, put it in the cart, and she would put it back. She would say, no, 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 no. And she put fake Newton. First time. I had no idea. She's like, cookie, cookie. Fake Newton was her cookie for me. And um, I I was so excited. I was so excited. Oh, cookie, cookie. All right, cookie. The moment they got home, Mira grabbed the Fig Newtons out of the shopping bags. First thing, I open up the Fig Newton. I put it in my, my mouth. 
oh my God, it's like the worst thing I ever tasted in my mouth. <laughs> and my mother said, oh, cookie, good for you. Cookie, good. Eat, eat. And I shook my head. I remember I spit it out. <laughs> oh my gosh. And my mother was a, a, a not a vegan, but vegetarian first couple of years and brown rice. I've never had brown rice. I wouldn't eat it because it looked like poop to me. Honestly, it was just really gross. And then, but she would add shoyu and of course had a little taste to it. And then she would add eggs and then I would eat more and more brown rice eventually, but I wouldn't touch the brown rice for a long time. Never had avocado, never had bread in my life when I was in Korea. So all this new food she was feeding me, I think that was more awkward for me than getting to know my mother, honestly. Some things about living in America were clearly better, though. The TV, for example. Instead of crowding around a screen with the other orphans to watch I Dream of Jeannie, Mira now had one all to herself. When I was adopted, my first house, turning on the TV, the knob, I remember. I would turn the knob back and forth, back and forth, push, open, push, open, and on and on button. Wow. The uh, black and white TV member with the antenna. Yes. Oh my God. That was my toy for like a week. <laughs> for a week, that was my toy. And mom, my mother could not understand. She would say, stop playing with it. Leave it alone. But that was toy. It's like, wow. The, the power of pushing it in, pushing it out. Push it in, and you get to watch. I got to watch whatever I wanted. That's not to say Mira wasn't sharing space. There was Gretchen's boyfriend who was with them, plus her two dogs and another pet. At the time, I had a pet mongoose. (laughs) It's like a huge rat. Let me just be your Google real quick to spare you the nightmares. A mongoose looks like a long, brownish-green ferret weasel. Short legs, long body, pointy nose. And unlike Mira, the mongoose would eat anything Gretchen served it. Brown rice, avocado. Mongoose never asked for a cookie. And just to be extra clear, this is not a common pet in Hawaii. It's actually illegal. But his mother abandoned him and I took him and brought him up and he was he was fine he was great except he only loved me he didn't love other people and i was so afraid of the mongoose the mongoose did not like her because mongoose was there before i was there and i think the mongoose was jealous of me so the mongoose would always attack my house shoes and she had fuzzy slippers that that i had bought her and the mongoose (laughs) would grab on to the fuzzy slippers, and she would walk around the house with this mongoose dragging. <laughs> what? Yes, and I, of course, later on, I figured out to hide and scare the mongoose. <laughs> and eventually, the mongoose and I got really, uh, was not a friendly. We, were, we became enemy, honestly. <laughs> because the mongoose was able to sleep in my mom's room. And then I wasn't able to sleep in my mom's room after so many days. And I was jealous. So the jealous started to build. And I had no idea. All these emotions. No one explained to me of jealousy. It's unusual to have your first jealous feelings directed at a mongoose. But for Mira, it made perfect sense. 
She's having a hard time sleeping in her room by herself. She's used to sleeping in a room full of other kids, human sounds. But instead, there are all these nature sounds, the wind, the birds, the wild mongoose, which I'm just going to assume is the plural for mongoose. I really don't want to Google this again. They are horrific looking. Mira wanted to be in her mom's bed. She wanted to feel closer to her mom, which surprised her. The affectionness was not important to me because I didn't get that in Korea. It took me a while, and I liked it. I'm like, oh, this is nice. Oh, okay, I want more. And I expressed it, and she eventually, I got, as I got older and older, and I said, well, Mom, why can't you hug me? Mom, why can't you just hug me without me hugging you first? It took years, though, before Mira was able to express complex emotions like this to Gretchen, before she had enough English under her belt. I couldn't communicate with her, so I did a lot of pointing, a lot of pointing. But of course, pointing became words, which became sentences, which became full stories. Mira was eventually able to tell Gretchen about her life back in Korea. I remember wearing a lot of black clothing, walking, a lot of walking, I remember. And you know, a lot of those part, I feel like it was just a dream. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, touching the icicle and wearing a mitten and ear muffin um, and cooking rice. I remember cooking rice where you have to bur- uh, cut the uh, uh, blocks of uh, small pieces of wood so you can start a fire um, on the ground, in the ground. And then there's a big steel pot, big cook, huge amount of cooking. Mira remembers a death in the family being abandoned at an open-air market, moving between foster homes and orphanages. This is not at all the story the adoption agency had told Gretchen. She read in a booklet that many children were up for adoption simply because their parents couldn't afford to send their kids to school in Korea, that she would be finishing the work of raising a kid that another mother had started. And as sad as it was to learn the truth about Mira's past, it was a relief to have some answers to the mysteries. She came with these scars all over her arms. And when I asked her about it, she said it was from, you know, Korea gets very, very cold. And she said she would have to wash dishes outside and break the ice in the pan. And so it was slices from the ice. And then in another family, I know she had to care for the younger children, the biological children. And she told me that, At Christmas, they got presents and she didn't. Now Mira was getting Christmas presents. She had a mom. And Gretchen's boyfriend, a father figure, even if he still insisted he was more of an uncle type. Together, just like Gretchen had dreamed about, they were now taking Mira along on their hikes in the sugarcane fields. Mira would sing to the sugarcane. And then I'll sing to the dogs. And the dogs were somewhat my best friends because the dogs were with me after my mother started to work, because eventually she had to go back to work. When Gretchen started working nights again, her boyfriend was on call. He thought Mira was hilarious, and he knew the way to her heart. He cooked chili. I remember chili was his, my favorite meal, and taco. Oh my God, tacos. When Gretchen and the boyfriend first started dating, he was being treated for hepatitis and couldn't drink alcohol. But now fully recovered, he could. The nights when Gretchen worked, he would drink heavily, and Mira became his caretaker. 
Budweiser. That was his favorite beer, Budweiser. And he would fall asleep on his favorite couch a lot. She told me that, you know, I cooked dinner last night. And I said, what do you mean you cooked dinner? And she said, well, yeah, uh, you know, I cook most nights because he's too drunk. So I would make a lot of egg sandwiches for him, I remember. Because it was bread, it was just very simple. Rice was very simple because I already knew how to cook rice. I just went, right at that moment, just went, no, this is not a happening thing. But here's the thing. When I was in Korean orphanage, I did a lot of cooking. I started cooking when I was about five years old. Very basic cooking. Five years old, can you imagine? Five years old. And uh, cleaning and doing laundry. Five years old. And changing diapers when I was five years old. So to me, that was nothing. Cooking, uh, taking off my dad's socks or um, taking away from the beer from my dad and tucking my dad to bed. That was easy for me. Up till that point, she was like, he's not my dad. He can't tell me what to do. And then when I broke up with him, she was like, but he's my dad. You can't leave my dad. That was the hard, 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 hard time for both of us. Because she and I moved out of the house. After they moved out, Gretchen was truly a single mom on her own. Not only had she leapt off the cliff, but now the person who had kind of, sort of jumped with her, he was gone. And as the tide rolled out, the rocks of Mira's teenage years suddenly became all too visible. Don't go away. Advertisements. <laughs> We're back. Part of why I'm so afraid of taking my own leap into becoming a single parent is that my new priority would be my kid. Falling in love, finding a partner, this would all go on the back burner. It's already pretty hard for me to prioritize dating, and I can't imagine having a kid would make that any easier. But that's not how Gretchen saw it. After she broke up with her boyfriend, she kept dating, kept meeting people, even though her daughter Mira didn't like it. She wanted me to give up all of her, my friends. She said, you're my mom. You're supposed to be my best friend. And, and I said, fine, I'll be your best friend. You give up your friends, I'll give up my friends. She was like, no, I don't have to give up my friends. You have to give up your friends. Why do you need a man? Why can't it be you and I? And my mother would say, having a boyfriend or man in my life makes me a little bit more happier. They add more to my life and to your life. When her mom became single, Mira was a preteen. Her English was getting better. She was making friends. So to me, I was swimming. I was going to school. Friends was important. Dancing was important. Being on stage was important to me. My mother's happiness was not important to me at that time. And who is? I mean, can you think about it? I mean, do you remember being a pre-teenager worrying about your mother's happiness? No, we were monsters. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, my viewpoint was it was all about me, 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 me all the way through. Honestly, honestly. And then one day, Gretchen was reading a copy of the Whole Earth Catalog. And in the back of it was this personals thing. Whole Earth Catalog, it's full of sustainable living tips and recipes. Perfect reading for a brown rice-loving hippie mom in the 1970s. 
I was actually just looking at my friend's vintage copy. Oh, good. You can find a husband there. That's what Gretchen did. She met a recently divorced father of two kids, both about Mira's age. And Gretchen and this guy, they started off as friends, but within a few months, she moved to the same island as him. They started a business together. Mira wasn't having it. She decided to name her price. I said, okay, well, can I get horse? And I want, I want to, um, I remember I said, I want a bicycle. I wanted this. I, I, I named five things I remember. <laughs> and um, I still don't have my horse. No horse, but 15 years after the wedding in Mira's early 30s, she got a father. You know what? I have to tell you this. I got injured and I drove my car to my parents' house and my dad looked at my car and goes, Mira, look at your car, sweetie. I said, Dad, I can't wash my car and I don't have the money to go to drive through. He goes, forget the drive through. I'm going to wash your car for you, Mira. That did it for me. And I know. Um, oh my God, I'm crying again. Um, and uh, my mother came out. My mother says, wow, he doesn't even wash my car. <laughs> so that, that did it for me. That, that did it. Honestly. The car wash sealed the deal. Mira wanted Gretchen's husband to adopt her. This was funny because we went to court and the judge says, are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) The judge was like, why would you adopt a 30-year-old? And I think she was probably 33 or something. I don't recall. Yeah. Why why did he want to do it? Well, it was twofold. It was because we'd come this far and he really did consider her his daughter. But there's also the issue of If he were in the hospital, she wouldn't be allowed to come in because she's not a relative. Right. Little things like that. So it just made a lot more sense to make it legal so that she had all the legal rights that any either of the other kids would have. And um, she is the most attentive of the three kids. She calls and checks up on us a couple of times a week. I told Mira that her mom compared adopting her to jumping off a cliff. Well, I wouldn't say leaping on the cliff. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really? Holy moly. Okay, I'm going to have to pick on her about that one. At first, she thought I was saying leaping off a cliff is a bad thing. But that's not true. From up here, it looks brave. Because I could sit here on this ledge forever. It's fun watching your friends take the leap. Seeing them laugh with exhilaration when they come up for air. But sometimes I worry. What if they all start to drift away from here? Suddenly, everyone I care about is five miles out. They're all done yelling at me from below, telling me it's cold at first, but warms up the more you swim. God, this metaphor is amazing. Keeps giving. You know, some of them even run up the cliff and then they jump off of it again. Crazy. For me, the only thing scarier than jumping is never jumping. Watching the sun slowly set on my fertility. Please forgive me. I'm going to keep trying to milk this metaphor just a little longer. 
know, there's even wolves circling my cliff, howling their little wolf songs about dying alone and never helping a kid navigate this world. You know, after talking to Gretchen and Mira, taking the leap doesn't seem nearly as bad as wimping out. Mira now has one kid of her own and one grandkid. She loves to travel, and she still speaks enough Korean to enjoy a good soap opera. But she's never been back to Korea. She says she wants to go back someday, but only with her mom. We want to hear from you. How did you decide to jump into parenthood? What pushed you over the edge? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 167. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Agatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, we're getting to know the New York Times parenting writer, KJ Delantonia, so well that we're going to even meet her parents. I just remember when she was a teenager that young children were just not her favorite people. So I've always been surprised that she now is the parent of four. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Tell us. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. <laughs>